0: podcast is rising its fame is at hand this day the land will be filled with the sounds of project ecology march on to our website leave none unbelieving to the podcast and with that this is episode 31 of project ecology part two of the two towers and yes i was trying to be saruman there
1: that, so that um, wasn't you know the the ghost of christopher lee
0: no, no it wasn't wow um <laughs> you actually did have the
1: inflection on there pretty good so all right cool
0: <laughs> with that being said i am one half of your host anthony and joining me as
1: always is dakota and there will be no dawn for men <sighs> we will leave none alive We're going to have a lot to say about The Two Towers, specifically the second half of the movie, because we're talking, you know, halves of each film in this six part series. So we hope you follow along and have been following along in our previous uh, three episodes covering uh, The Fellowship and the first part of The Two Towers, uh, because we have a lot more to go through. Uh, We're we're just past the middle point now. Today, we're going to be talking about Helm's Deep and more. So I'm very excited. So, yeah, what have you been up to this week, Dakota? Uh, I have a new video out today uh, as we're recording this. So, you know, yesterday for for you guys, if you're listening on Monday, Um, it's a timeline journal video. And for those who don't know what that is, um, which is understandable because I've only made two. It's basically I, I open up my my literal physical journal and talk about like some of the notes that I've taken on certain titles like Star Wars and MCU and like explain why I play certain things where I do on the timeline and in this new video I explain or I, I have like a, a literal visual timeline that I'm like putting stuff onto um, that I think looks pretty cool and I could be using it in the future of our MCU timelines, which would, which will be pretty big for our channel if I ever choose to do that. So uh, I'm excited about that. What else? I've, I started a new job. This is an interesting one. Um, Oh yeah. I think it's kind of worth talking about a little bit. Um, so I'm an electrician. I, or an apprentice electrician. So I get sent to different jobs. Uh, sometimes it's like, um you know just a service call sometimes it's a whole construction site and this time it's a whole construction site i'm being sent to yonkers new york and they're building lionsgate studios out there so there's they're building three different studios a b and c uh the a building is the biggest one i think that's the one that they're trying to finish first but i, I I'm doing a lot of, uh, you know, laying down the pipe work in there, putting up the boxes that are going to be like the electrical boxes for the different movies that they're going to film there or TV shows. I'm not really sure what they're going to film there, but I'm assuming they wanted an off-site location for, like, New York City shoots. So if you have a film in New York City or set in New York City, you could just, um, you know, take your crew to Yonkers, basically, have them... Uh, film whatever interior scenes you need there, and then go over to New York City and start filming over there. So I, I think that's what they're doing, but I'm not really sure. Mm, um, okay. It's it's a long ways off before being finished. It's still like there's... there's The, the buildings themselves, the studios are up, all the concrete structures are up, uh, but they're just skeletons basically at this point. There's not even like a concrete floor at this stage. So I'll let you know if I... I mean, I doubt I'm going to learn any movie news or anything while I'm on the job because there's literally no movies being... It's impossible to make a movie right now. <laughs> they're
0: going to they're, they're film outdoor scenes there.
1: Yeah, they're going to film like John Wick like running through the mud.
0: Running through the mud and unfinished buildings.
1: Yeah. I hope he has his tetanus shots. <laughs> um, uh, as far as, like, stuff I've been consuming, um, you know, aside from the food and water, uh, I have started rereading The Dark Disciple book by Christy Golden. It's a Star Wars novel that is supposed to, was originally supposed to be part of Season 7 of The Clone Wars. It was supposed to be an eight-episode arc between Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Vos, the Jedi. It's such a good read. It's, it's a far more mature Star Wars story than most of the Clone Wars, just because it talks about like, you know, it, it does get into like the relationship of Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress. And not that it gets like graphic or anything, but clearly they, they do things that, you know, they don't normally talk about in Star Wars. And he, right. he breaks rank from the Jedi so that he can, you know, get closer to her with the ultimate goal of assassinating Dooku. Obviously, we know if you've seen uh, Revenge of the Sith, they aren't successful. Someone else kills Dooku. But um, it's a great read. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm like a little more than halfway through it. Uh, it's my second reading. Uh, I, last time I read it was when it f- like first came out. So it's, it's been a while. But I'm excited. All the previous Star Wars stuff that I have, like, spoken about in previous podcasts, I've, like, put onto the visual timeline that is now in our the, the timeline journal that I released today. So I'm excited to see how people react to that. Anyway, um, another really awesome thing, and we talked about this last week a little bit, is Mythic Quest. Mythic, oh, yeah. Yeah, Mythic Quest released... Um, so have you, have you seen any of Mythic Quest Anthony? I, f- I forget if I asked you.
0: Previously. Yeah, I had seen the um, like the, the whole first season.
1: Okay, so you'll, be, you'll you'll probably remember the episode called A Dark Quiet Death. So a Dark Quiet Death is a very random episode. It's not a comedy, you know they, right. It doesn't feature any of the main cast at all. Like throughout the entirety of the episode and it, it, it basically focuses on two video game creators in the 90s and um, it basically creates an in-world game studio that doesn't exist in in real life and how that has affected the future of gaming in this mythic quest universe um, so that's like, probably the best episode they've ever created um, in, my, in, my, in my book. Just because it's so different. You have no idea what you're getting into when it starts. And by the end, you're just kind of like, well, now I'm super depressed. <laughs> well, they did, that, they did that again in uh, Season 2, uh, Episode 6. I forget what the name of the episode is. But um, basically, they go into the 70s. And they talk about the history of uh, the the old guy who writes the story for the game Mythic Quest, uh, C.W. Longbottom, oh, and yeah. and uh, it's basically like his story of how he became uh, the popular writer that he is in the that he, that he is. And it's like such a crazy good episode because anyone who's ever like created anything will understand um, the issues of doubt that he feels throughout the episode and they just make you squirm dude it's it's such a an introverted piece i i don't know it's hard to explain you have to watch it but it's it's so it's really good and by the end you're just like holy crap they just they they rewrote this whole character and he makes so much more sense now it's super good anyway sorry i'm i'm gushing about that (laughs) uh let's turn the discussion over to you Anthony what have you been up to
0: nothing too crazy I had been uh, I had watched the second half of the two towers again you know I wanted to make sure I was fresh for this episode Uh, my job I work at a bank and we just went through a merger so the the first week of that had been a bit crazy you know because there's a lot of changes and
1: has it been busier
0: yeah it it had been really busy yeah and since we're using a whole new system that doesn't help out with the busyness because it kind of slows us down a little bit because we're still trying to get used to it but uh this week went by pretty fast because of that I, i was surprised i was like oh my gosh it's already friday
1: yeah, it's crazy how that happens. You know, like, uh, and it's a good feeling too. Like sometimes the work week is just so grueling and you're just like, oh, it's Friday. Time to rest for a couple of days. Um, so that's that's good. Uh, are you enjoying the switchover, the merger?
0: Um, It's cool. It's, there's a lot of learning that goes with it. You know, this is my first time experiencing anything like that. You know, the, the coming together of two different uh banks. So this is uh you know, it's a, it's interesting. It's an interesting experience that I'm learning a lot from. So it's uh you know, there's a lot more to learn. Yeah. But yeah, there's that um i don't yeah, there there hasn't been anything too crazy for me this week. I want oh, there, there's a couple of shows that I have on my list that I want to start um, like and uh i'm like do i even want to start this because it got canceled but uh jupiter's legacy like that i've
1: heard i've heard good things about jupiter's legacy it got canceled the second season but what's weird is that um netflix is kind of they're they're too deep into the show meaning that they've put too much money and time into it so they've already started working on a spin-off series um what's it called Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's basically following the villains of the show. So it, the it, even though Jupiter's legacy is technically canceled, the universe continues in the spin-off show. So it may just kind of bounce back and forth between Jupiter's legacy and this other show. So it, it, it might pick up still. Oh, okay. But it's kind of um, a weird thing. It's kind of a weird thing. It's like, what if Iron Man bombed and we and instead of like Disney or it wasn't Disney at the time but it, it, what if Marvel was just like you know what would be great if we made a whole cinematic universe out of this film that made no money <laughs> you know right that's how it feels yeah. with this
0: like I, I feel the I feel like if Iron Man had bombed it would still it, it would be like a continuation of kind of like how we were getting superhero movies uh prior to that like you know we had spider-man here right there's spider-man here and then there's like you know another spider-man series and we had x-men and then yeah we had fantastic four which they really just i don't know i don't know why they had such an issue like hitting the mark on the fantastic four like twice man and like they got
1: worse with the second time around so I mean it's it's an fantastic four is an interesting one and actually I would love to go back and rewatch those for for the show maybe sometime after Lord of the Rings but yeah we're we're talking about the early 2000s Fantastic Four not the uh, Josh Trank one that came out a couple of years ago um, cuz that's a different story altogether but the cast that they had for the original movie was a perfect Fantastic Four cast you know I look at that and I'm like Wow, they totally nailed the casting of The Fantastic Four. And yeah, the movie's corny. It's it's cheesy. But for the time, it was exactly what like sp- like superhero movies were supposed to be, you know. So, I very comic booky. Very comic booky. And I will say for whatever I, although I there are huge problems with the sequel, The The Rise of the Silver Surfer. It had some really cool special effects and some really cool conceptual things. I remember more about the rise of I keep wanting to say the rise of Skywalker, the rise of the silver surfer um, than I do of the original movie. So I don't know. take that for what it's worth. But yeah,
0: they, and they did like they made Galactus like really weird.
1: They basically didn't even make Galactus. He was just a cloud in the sky. Like they didn't want to commit to, you know, he a giant. A...
0: <laughs> he's a black hole cloud yeah if they ever
1: bring galactus into the mcu which you know is inevitable they i hope they do bring back the cloud and then just have him like obliterate the cloud and just like
0: i'm here <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine like yeah they they, they kind of make fun of it yeah like um like ryan reynolds made fun of uh of uh the green lantern in uh deadpool
1: yes yeah um i i love that
0: (laughs) that was so funny you know Um,
1: apparently ryan reynolds hadn't seen um green lantern oh really he has never or it wasn't until recently that he had seen green lantern uh I, i guess he was so or maybe it was no i i think that he had never seen green lantern before and he didn't want to be hurt by the fact that it was just such a bad production and recently he decided to like do like a sit down thing and watch it and he was basically like happily surprised like it's not half as bad as i expected it to be which it isn't you know it's it it's a movie that has like a lot of stuff going for it but it was the fact that it had too much going for it that they didn't focus on any one thing you know like they had the oa the green lantern core thing down they had sinestro down um they had parallax down, but they didn't. It was too much, too quick. So it was like all the big Green Lantern stuff in one movie, and it was a mistake.
0: Well, I mean, we—I feel like we, we've talked so much about DC on here, but I mean, that—that's really a problem with the DC movies is that they always try to put too much into their movies.
1: Yeah, and you know, Marvel has has fallen into that um, trap. A few times. Not necessarily the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but, like, Spider-Man 3 uh, with three different villains. Like, three Uh, very different stories going on at the same time. Um, It's a shame. And it's crazy that they never made a fourth movie. It is crazy that they never made a fourth movie. And they just kind of, like, shotgun that away so that they can put the Andrew Garfield stuff in there. I feel like this is turning into a superhero podcast. Um, But I have a lot to say about all this stuff. Yeah, so... It's crazy that they never made a fourth Tobey Maguire movie, and it was supposed to be with Mysterio. And it, they had it set up so good, because in the comics, Mysterio is like a theater producer, like he's, he's a practical effects guy, and uh, an illusionist. And we had MJ, Mary Jane, who worked in a movie theater. So it would have been so easy for them to just incorporate Mysterio as the bad guy. Um, and... Spider-Man 3 was the highest grossing movie ever at the time so it's like how did they just x-nay that and say yes to let's put lizard with Andrew Garfield
0: so yeah I think growing up with uh Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man just like made it really hard for me to connect with Andrew Garfield Andrew Garfield I mean he is a good actor Mm-hmm. don't get me wrong like i've seen him in some like great things like i mean i don't know if you've seen him in hacksaw ridge but that was a really good movie i haven't seen it yeah uh yeah no it, it's great but i didn't for for spider-man he just didn't do it for me i feel like toby Maguire had that good like he had that goofiness that peter parker needed
1: yeah and you know andrew garfield did have that but he was also still too cool yeah like, yeah. he skateboarded. He, you know, he had a little bit of swag even though he was, like, clumsy and tripping over himself a little bit. But he still was a good-looking kid. And it was... And so was Tony McGuire. But, you know, comic book movies. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. So, when it comes to... Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, I always like chuckle because I live in New York, so I'm used to the different accents. You know, you have the Brooklyn accent, you have the Long Island accent, the Bronx accent, the Queens accent. Uh, And he kind of just switches back and forth whenever it suits him. Like sometimes when he'll be talking to a... It's been a while since I've seen the movies, but I remember how baffling it was for me, like hearing someone speak so many different New York accents in different scenes and I guess it makes sense because he's not American, but still, you gotta you gotta commit to one,
0: right? But yeah, and I don't. I feel like the Uncle Ben death for Tobey Maguire's Spider Man just hit you harder. Oh
1: well, yeah. I mean, they didn't really show you, or did they show you the Uncle Ben death? I I don't even remember. with uh, I think I think that
0: they kind of did. But I don't know they with uh, with Tom McGuire they they really did like the backstory or the leading up to that point really well. I think that they did the they did really good with the like beginning development of Spider Man like him not knowing how to use his powers and him like what the heck and like him grabbing on like um you know like when he's grabbing onto the bus like he rips off the paper and he's like why is this what the heck is going on like. I really liked that the clumsy beginning of him being Spider-Man. And yes. a lot yeah, of people, like a lot of people gave flack to Tobey Maguire. They're like, oh, you know, he was a good Peter Parker, but he wasn't a good Spider-Man. Well, the Spider-Man that we got was like the beginning. So, of course, he's going to be like a clumsy Spider-Man. Um, he's not going to be like tip top Spider-Man, the one that we're used to seeing in the comic books. Where most of us, by the time we we've seen, uh, we've gotten to the point to where we've read Spider Man. Spider Man had been out for how many years, you know? So I mean, yeah, it's like a clumsy like we got a Spider Man at the early stages where he's not comfortable fully as Spider Man, and um, I think that you know it plays well into that. Uh, right. I, I'm just i I'm just a, you know, I'm a. You're Tobey Maguire. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the, well we, we might be talking more about Toby Maguire in the coming year. Uh Right,
0: right, but then but then like we have Tom Holland and I still I I like Tom Holland way more than I liked Andrew Garfield.
1: I wonder how much of that is us appreciating um what the MCU has going on. Because it has its own feel. Obviously it's a very different take on the Spider Man character than either uh Toby Maguire or Andrew Garfield's. But um, there is a charm to Tom Holland where he does look young. Like even, I think he's 25 now. Yeah. And Tobey Maguire was 26 when he first took on the Spider-Man role. But the fact that we've grown up watching, or we've we've seen Tom Holland grow up, I think he was cast when he was, what, 19 or 20. And he was playing a 15-year-old in Civil War. And then... It was believable. It was a believable age range. And... Um, when you see like in, in Spider-Man: uh, Homecoming, like the scenes where he's like under rubble and he's like he starts crying, he starts panicking. It's very childlike, and you understand because he's a child. He's a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he
0: he he does that really well. And the um, I'm sorry, the, the, this, the, like, this
1: episode has just devolved into a Star Wars or a Spider-Man discussion. I'm so sorry to you listeners who are like, right, just, right. Like, i want lord of the rings now
0: right right um well i mean we'll we'll, fin- we'll, we'll finish this up with, with this but um i do like that tom holland also has that you know uh where, where he's uh like crap talking and fights or he's like talking and fights that's very spider-man
1: yes <laughs> wait you guys aren't the avengers <laughs> <laughs> oh you have a metal arm oh that's
0: cool i love that yeah uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah um when uh the, the the falcon is like i don't know if you've ever been in a fight before but
1: they you know there's
0: usually not much talk involved
1: <laughs> yeah there's usually not this much talking but you know that's kind of like the whole thing with spider-man is like uh he'll let them monologue and he'll uh make quips right back at them um all right right well, we'll uh let's let's sideline this kind con- uh, conversation because we've been talking way too long about yeah
0: we can have an episode about spider-man yeah we yeah, can we'll, have an episode
1: we'll... of just you know talking spider-man but yeah. i think we should do like some of the movies and stuff as well yeah uh, i'm gonna yes. i'm gonna jump over there and grab more coffee before we start this is the third too late to cut this out. is the too fourth late. week i think that we've been doing uh like our recordings in the morning and i enjoy them a lot more i feel like we're just more engaging but anyway let's Let me get more coffee really quick.
0: Yeah, let me get some water then. Two thousand years later.
1: So the last time we left our hobbits, Frodo and Sam, they were getting kidnapped by some uh, men from Gondor, specifically Faramir's company. And... What Faramir's company was doing, I don't really know. I guess we can make some assumptions that they were, you know, staking out the area, making sure uh, forces from Mordor weren't going towards Osgiliath or, like, seeing if there was any other, um, like, allies of of Sauron coming from other areas. And they happened upon the the, the people that, like, the, the evil men that we were talking about last week that Frodo and Sam were beholding. On the oliphants i think this is one of the more interesting side stories in the lord of the rings is you know the relationship between uh boromir faramir and their father because it's just it's heartbreaking and it explains so much about boromir's character and i think we're gonna talk more about that in the next film as well return of the king because there's such a strong emphasis on character when it comes to Faramir and how he's trying to get his father's love, but his father's love is 100% reserved for Boromir for whatever reason. And right. it, it's tough. Yeah, but it, it's, it's an interesting thing that the ring falls back into the hands of Gondor, basically, or it doesn't really fall into the hands of Gondor, but like they get close to taking the ring for themselves. Which would have just signaled doom for the world if that happened.
0: It was it ju- just to talk a little bit back uh, on what you were saying about Faramir and Boromir's father, um, and the heart, the, the how it's heartbreaking in nature. Mm-hmm. W- what is really heartbreaking about it is that uh, their father has like this resentment towards Faramir and it's you don't understand why like you don't know why there's such a resentment you know at at the at the point that they show this is back when when Boromir was alive yeah and so he even he even showed resentment towards Faramir you know when when Boromir was alive which the father
1: yeah not Boromir
0: right Lord Denethor
1: denethor i was looking that up actually yeah lord denethor is a jerk um to put it lightly and you know sticking with that that scene let's talk a little bit about that because it it kind of breaks off um from the main story and it's more of a flashback so we can talk more about that flashback a little bit so we have the scene leading up to boromir Being uh, told to go over to Rivendell, which is they retake Osgiliath, and um, Osgiliath being like the satellite city that like goes through the river. I mean satellite city because it's like very close to the big city of Minas Tirith, but it was previously uh, occupied by orcs because I guess there were too few men manning Osgiliath. Uh, under Faramir's control and I'm I, I bet you when uh, like I bet you so much that Faramir was asking for more forces and Denethor did not give it to him and that's why Osgiliath fell when Boromir told Denethor that Faramir Also was as much a cause for their victory as he was Denethor was like if it weren't for Faramir uh, Osgiliath wouldn't have fallen in the first place <laughs> and that's when Faramir's like We didn't have enough forces, but he didn't want to accuse his father Uh, of not doing that because what's the point the father's clearly crazy and has like vitriol towards the son for whatever reason we don't know
0: right right like it's it's more than just the following of osgiliath you could tell that that resentment run has run for probably his whole life
1: yeah he's always been the second son he's the you know even when He when even even when Denethor like walks in on uh, the merrymaking in Osgiliath like everyone's drinking and trying to have a good time they just won the battle Um, he goes where is my firstborn and it's clear that that plays a a big part in like what what his love for um, Faramir is I wonder if it was and I guess this happens a lot unfortunately is you know the mother dies in childbirth yeah i was thinking that too. and the father holds the child responsible and that may be the case for faramir um i haven't looked into it so i don't know that for a fact if you do know please let us know uh in some uh former fashion on twitter or instagram whatever
0: right and you can tell that boromir doesn't he he's not exactly too uh he, he doesn't look forward to seeing his father He's not because he knows how his father and I think the relationship between uh, Faramir and their father is, you know, part of why he kind of like he kind of resents his dad a little bit, too, because when he comes, he's like, oh, can he not lend us a moment of peace or something like that?" because he
1: knows he knows how he's going to be. He knows that he's going to be fawning all over him and his younger brother, who is has always been sidelined from what we know. Is just going to be crapped on, you know. He's gonna Boromir's gonna get all the praise, and Faramir's gonna get all the blame. And unfortunately, that is the case for some like families out there that there's clearly a favorite child. But this is like to the extreme where the there's a favorite child and like a a very very least favorite child. This is like Dudley and Harry. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. But the the thing the thing that kind of sucks for Faramir is that, you know, when, when Boromir dies, it's essentially the only person that we know of that loved Faramir, genuinely loved Faramir, and he's gone.
1: Yeah, so you can see the anguish in Faramir's eyes um, when he uh, starts talking about how Boromir is dead. And, he, you, you know, the only proof he has is that the Horn of Gondor... Or his horn was was you know ripped in two, but he knows in his heart because he's his brother, and this is when um, you know we're we're going we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but essentially Frodo and Sam have been captured. Sméagol is somewhere else; they don't know where he is. They're trying to you know get out of being captured from Faramir, so they're they're trying to tell him as much truth as they're willing to tell. They explain that they're you know hobbits from the Shire. Um, they left with nine companions out of Rivendell and two of them were human. One was Aragorn and one was Boromir. So that's when Faramir is like, so you knew Boromir. So we know Faramir knows about the Fellowship. We know Faramir knows the purpose of the, um, the, the council meeting that was called by Elrond. Because it's been a lot of time between Fellowship And this moment where the hobbits get captured. And there were other humans that, you know, came uh, alongside Boromir and stuff. I don't know if other humans from Gondor came, but there were other humans present. So, Faramir clearly knows the purpose of the meeting. And he probably has some inkling as to what these hobbits are doing, you know? And it's not until, like, he finds Smeagol and Smeagol tells him what they're up to that (laughs) which is a great scene um that he realizes like they have the ring of power but up until this point we see him kind of lamenting the fact that um this is kind of more proof that boromir is dead you know he doesn't have true proof yet he feels it in his heart and he he understands that the horn of gondor is like torn in two basically but the fact that boromir is no longer with two of his companions that he left rivendell with hurts him deeply and he starts like tearing up so so yeah you're you're right i mean boromir was one of the only people probably the only true family member he had that loved him uh um, yeah. and cared for him and and was on his side so yeah it's a it's a tough thing uh faramir is one of the best characters in the lord of the rings you know it, not in terms of like what he gets accomplished um but in terms of heart that he adds to the story you know yeah
0: Yeah, he really does. And you really see it towards the end of this film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about Gollum. Because in the past, uh, like first half of the two towers, we have a shift in Gollum where he learns his name is Smeagol or learns that the hobbits know his name is Smeagol. And that kind of like brings that personality back to the forefront instead of Gollum so after he runs away he goes into this um forbidden pool that for whatever reason is forbidden in gondor you're not supposed to swim in it whatever
0: but yeah and he sings his little song
1: yes yeah i forget how it goes but it's so good so so, so sweet i i love the how he like slaps the fish along with the beat <laughs> yeah to break up the the verse yeah I love that it's so good but Faramir uses that moment to coerce Frodo into admitting that Gollum is part of their crew and you know Frodo has kind of uh, denied the fact that Gollum is part of their crew for whatever reason Um, which is kind of silly to me because the fact that Faramir knows that they were with another companion and he's just outright lying to Faramir, like I don't I don't see the point of it, you know. But for whatever reason, they just want to be free of uh, explaining away Gollum, and anyway, they can't because he's their guide to Mordor.
0: Frodo admits that this creature is bound to him, and he to it. Um. Well, he to Gollum, and then th- this is where Gollum kind of comes back around because Frodo tells him to they, uh, they allow Frodo to go down to bring Gollum over Gollum is a little skeptical I don't know if you notice that like Gollum is he knows that something's not right yeah yeah the Gollum goes towards Frodo and the Rangers of Gondor put a bag over his
1: head and they like beat him up What's funny is that at this point, Gollum has, or Smeagol, is somewhat of a pet to Frodo and Frodo treats him like a pet. Uh, He, you know, is in a very submissive state and it's funny like comparing him to my dog because we were watching it last night, Jen and I, and we were like, holy crap. That's Luna. That's our dog. When we tell her to come in, to, to come in from outside, you know, like Smeagol like looks at Sméagol looks at Frodo like, we have to go now, and that's what my dog does. You know, the fact that like she doesn't want to stop playing. She and you know she has her ball in her mouth. Or Smeagol's case, he has the fish in the mouth, and he's like slowly walking towards the door, like okay, okay. Um, but it, it just reminded me of my dog so much in that moment, and um and it's yeah. thinking about it that way um is is another way that you can feel uh part of the betrayal that Smeagol must have felt because he listened to Frodo and then he was hurt. He was tortured for information at that point. So his breaking away from the Smeagol and going back to Gollum is uh, an interesting one.
0: Right. It's like a defense mechanism essentially. Yeah. that when things are going bad, Gollum comes in because Gollum is like the is the personality that he's created to get him through the tough things mm-hmm. And yeah that and then yeah so this is they beat him up and you can hear uh, th- th- there was such an interesting moment in the movie where Gollum is speaking to Smeagol And asking, why is he crying?
1: Why does he cry? Yeah. Um, It's an interesting thing that you mentioned um, in last week's episode. That he starts repeating uh, phrases and lyrics and songs to himself when he's trying to comfort himself. And, you know, he's, he's cowering. He has his guards all the way up. And... We have this scene where he is uh, balled up in a corner and he's looking at the wall and he's talking to himself and he's comforting himself. You see him like rubbing his head um, or, and his like shoulders like he's he's just the the visual language of someone comforting themselves is like s- extremely strong in Gollum. Um, you know, total props to Andy Serkis there, but... It's interesting seeing how, like, because he does go in and out of character—Gollum and then Sméagol and then Gollum and then Sméagol. He's having a conversation with himself at the end of the day, and right. uh, <laughs> and then he starts talking about the fact that they stole it from us, and that's when Fer- that's what Faramir locks onto. What did they steal from you? And it's it's my favorite Gollum moment. I think is my precious ah yeah sorry my mic peaked really hard there um
0: have fun editing that uh (laughs) but yeah yeah this is where fairmare he finally realizes that the ring of power is within his grasp and so yeah he goes to he goes to frodo and talks about it you know kind of like saying like oh finally the ring of power is here, and he's like finally for, Faramir to show his quality.
1: Yes, and that that's a, that's a a line that I think Denethor says in the flashback. He does. He does. Yeah, he, he says does. something like, mm-hmm. "What for Faramir to show his quality?" Uh, yeah. As if like a, a snide remark towards towards his younger son, and yeah, he kind of parrots that. In his own way like you know finally an opportunity for faramir of gondor to show his quality and it's almost like he's saying that in jest you know when you think when you understand where he's coming from he's thinking about his father's hatred towards him and he thinks this will stop that if i could right. just bring them bring the ring to um my father
0: right and in this moment you could and th- they obviously there's the sound and the music that um Enhances it, but the ring is influencing Faramir.
1: Yeah, dude, it's so crazy. Like, as I get older, like the more I notice from The Lord of the Rings and like certain scenes, like the ring is totally. Um, and a funny thing is, I, I've I've started like this past year for whatever reason, I started listening or I started listing subtitles below uh, like movies and stuff. So I'm list- I'm looking at all the subtitles in this movie and this when it when the ring is like making that noise it says the ring is talking oh really yeah or the it says like the voice of the ring and um, that kind of gave me like chills a little bit because like i never thought about it that way but he's the ring is talking to um faramir he's like it's it's like coaxing faramir to like want that power want that greed
0: right and you can hear very very like light whispering
1: yeah it's creepy it's creepy but and it, and and that's when like you see like frodo kind of like uh he, squirm like he's um i don't i don't know the word to describe it but it's all.
0: <laughs> like he's uncomfortable he's uncomfortable and...
1: but it's it's almost like um it almost looks gratifying in a way like he's it the, the ring is using him to speak to to faramir i don't really know what's going on but as much as faramir realizes the power of the ring frodo's also feeling it like 10 times more you know right like the draw to like use it is right. so much stronger with frodo um and that's part of the fact that it's around his neck and he's had it for a prolonged period of time so with that faramir and company take sam and frodo and gollum Over to Gondor. And I think that's a good opportunity for us to swing back to what's going on in Rohan.
0: The Rohirrim?
1: Yes, the Rohirrim.
0: Yeah, so the last time we talked about Rohan, they left Adaras Because to to head to uh, Helm's Deep. Because uh, Saruman is on the way with a giant army. they don't they don't know of at that moment they do know that saruman is putting his forces yeah right they
1: they talked about that in the previous one where they realized like saruman is amassing an army and he's slowly taking out the 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 little villages and towns around rohan to kind of like you know destroy any potential armies that rohan can muster and um, so they, they head over to Helm's Deep, which is, you know, their uh, their ancestral uh, fortress that, you know, has weathered many storms and met many wars and stuff. So that's kind of their last line of defense and their first line of defense, to be honest. Right. On the way, the party is attacked by... Wargs. We should talk about Aelin uh, and Aragorn. You know, some of the names in uh, The Lord of the Rings, first of all, I, I think we should talk about it. I think he purposefully, Tolkien, purposely chooses names that are similar to, you know, react to different, like, individuals. Like, for whatever reason, Arwen and Eowyn are the two love interests for Aragorn, and they have very similar names. And then the two villains of the story, Saruman and Sauron. Are very similar names as well, and I, I don't yeah. know why he chooses names that are like this, but he does. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I have no answer for it, but it, it is an interesting choice, and it seems purposeful.
0: Yeah, that's something that I had noticed too. Yeah, the, yeah, there was a pretty. It, it was a, it was a humorous moment where, she E-Ewen brings food to, Aragorn. And like right before that, uh, she go she offers some the gimli and he's like, Oh no, I couldn't
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like he realizes that it's not very good. Um, but Aragorn, Ugh. you know, the, the chivalrous man that he is, uh, the gentleman, you know, he, he tries it and I, I love the I love the face he makes. Like he takes a, a, a gulp, he goes, Mmm, mmm and he yeah. like nods his head like in approval.
0: Yeah, like, and, and it sounds so pained, but he's like,
1: he's like, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's like, poor thing. She's like, really? Oh, good. Uh, and you could tell that she's trying super hard to um, find attention from this man. Yeah. But Aragorn, and Aragorn, for, for his part, isn't, like, denying her. You know, he's not actively putting her down and he's actually spending some time with her, but his heart is elsewhere.
0: Yeah. And she kind of knows that, though, too.
1: She comments on it several times, but, you know, I th- she she sees a man of true honor. And that's something that she looks up to deeply. And it's something that she wants to emulate, you know, like several times throughout this film and the next film. She tries to do more than just be her part or just to do her part as a woman she wants to fight she wants to be part she wants to be there with the men and stuff and it's it's a super she's a super empowering character like they they uh first of all they cast her perfectly um and like her storyline isn't a heartbreaking one but um you feel bad for her at the same time because you know she's not going to get what she wants
0: yeah Oh yeah and uh they have an exchange where it talks a little bit about him being a doonadine right and that uh he had fought in a war with her, her grandfather. grandfather yeah and, and and even even like everyone's like uh, Theoden has a good memory he was only a small boy uh, like you know just the, like thinking of that because you look at Theoden and Theoden is obviously older looking than Aragorn but Aragorn is older than him
1: yeah so a couple episodes ago I mentioned the fact that Aragorn will live till he's 900 I I grossly over exaggerated that number um I'm looking it up now around the time of uh the movie Aragorn is 87 years old or about 90 years old um, apparently his reign lasts for 122 years after you know he's you know put in place in Gondor and it ends with his death at the age of 210 so yes he does have like an extremely long lifespan that's like three lifespans of men um, but or m- maybe two and a half really but the reason is because he's a Dunedain and she, she kind of comments on this, you know, it's one of the old, uh, men of the West that for whatever reason, their race of humans lasted longer.
0: Right. It's a kingdom to the, to the North. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, what was it? Like a descendant of Numenor? Yes. So yeah, no, that, that, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and when you're younger and seeing this, you're like, Oh, you're like, that's an old man. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that, that's cool.
1: Oh, so I'm looking at, I, I looked it up. Sorry, I, I'm probably derailing this conversation a lot. But Numenor, because you mentioned it, uh, also called Elena Nore, or Westerness, is a fictional place in J.R.R. Tolkien's writings. It was the kingdom occupying a large island to the west of Middle Earth, the main setting of Tolkien's writings, and was the greatest civilization of men. So that's where he is from, basically and that's why he has such uh, a long life for whatever reason they lived much longer than men of Middle-earth
0: I wonder if because he's he's the the descendant of Isildur yeah if uh, Isildur was one too or if this was after the fact
1: let's look it up because that was 3,000 years ago
0: right so anything could a a lot can happen in 3,000 years
1: yeah. So it's not saying that he's from Numenor. Uh from his Oh wait, yeah, no. Um Asildur was born in Numenor, sorry. <laughs> in the in the year second age, thirty two oh nine. So okay. So yeah. Uh Isildur is from Numenor.
0: Interesting. Had he not been killed, he would have lived a long time.
1: Yes. Um but For whatever reason, men are easily, um, they usually succumb to the power of the ring, which I don't know. I think it's it's an interesting thing for Tolkien to, um, you know, write about having lived through the Great Wars. Uh, He clearly had some, although he claims he didn't, he clearly did have some influence from the idea of how power corrupts absolutely, especially the hearts of men. That's ultimately what the the point of the Lord of the Rings is, you know uh, Is how to dismantle power that corrupts is it, so corrupted basically and um, it, It's it's pretty fascinating how he incorporated all of that and you know We have that in in this story where he's talking about like how You know talking about the Great War and I don't know how much this translates to the books because I've, I've watched these movies so many times And I've only read the books once or twi- i've read them twice actually but um i don't remember much of what happens in the books but mary is talking to the ants and he's trying to get them involved in the war and yeah. they basically say, they, they basically say um you know we we ha- we are no part of this war at the end of the at the end of the moot where several ants come together and um mary has this great line where he's just like how can you say that you're part of this world and it kind of goes to. It reminded me of the fact that you know, in the world wars, everyone got involved. Maybe not literally every country, but for the all the major powers were involved in in the fighting. And it's uh, it's reminiscent of that.
0: Right. Uh, I, I did like that that moment where uh, Treebeard was. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, we just got finished saying good morning,"
1: and Mary's like, "It's <laughs> nighttime." <laughs> uh, and Treebeard's like, uh, "We don't say anything in Entish unless it's worth saying." Yeah, so, that,
0: yeah, that uh, he says that it takes a long time to say anything in Old Entish, which is just like tree groaning.
1: Yeah, so they basically. Admit that they haven't done this in an age Which which is pretty telling is in terms of the the time period of this. So an age uh, there have been three in um, the history of Middle-earth the first age the second age and the third age is where we're now at like some some points. I think it's probably 11 or like 12 15 or something like that. Uh, Twelve fifteen of the Third Age. I might be off by you know fifty years or so, but um, I'm basing that on Bilbo's one hundred and eleventh birthday and the fact that he had the vintage of uh, wine from eleven thirty six, almost as old as I am. So <laughs> I don't know the actual year that Lord of the Rings takes place in the Third Age. I'm sure someone knows, but it's pretty cool that if you if you take treebeard's words as truth that means that the ants haven't like woken up and spoken to each other like this in over at least a thousand years
0: yeah it's a long time
1: it's a long time for a couple trees
0: (laughs) you know just some trees groaning
1: all right going back to uh you know rohan and them they're attacked by wargs, warg riders, which are orcs who have trained these giant wolf-like creatures uh, to ride on. Well, I... They call—they
0: call, they pretty much call them wolves. They call them the wolves of Isengard.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they're—they're um, they're basically just grotesque mm-hmm. giant Mangles. beasts. Yeah. yeah they there are huge mutts of wolves and it's what's interesting is that in the hobbit movie they decided to retcon the look of the wargs and they made them more wolf-like instead of they have more dog faces in in this movie but which so, for
0: me for me it makes sense that they that the look looks like that in these movies because i mean just think think of the look of the orcs and the urcs they're they're like hybrids you know that's an interesting
1: point yeah so if if they're the wolves of isengard isengard wasn't always like um uh, uh, a super scary grotesque place it was right really, it's only there recently so it could be that these are just warped creatures um from their original state
0: right and yeah in the, in the first movie you see that isengard was once beautiful it was lush it had its own like little forest around the tower
1: right i i wonder if saruman is supposed to be like a mad scientist like uh you know in the in the nazi party you had like joseph Mengele, um and you know doing like weird experimentation uh and and stuff because in I'm sure Saruman's more of a hybrid, actually, in in terms of, like, what he did, because, you know, he he also created weapons, he created armies, he created uh, hybrid creatures, he did experimentation on orcs and stuff. So, Saruman's kind of like the second-hand man to Sauron, which would be kind of...
0: Right. He even creates a different type of weapon, too.
1: Yeah, the, the, the explosion that they end up using in, um, or the explosive device in, uh, Helm's deep it's it's really interesting i i wonder if that's what like the idea of sauron came from is the the idea of like um you know the second hand man who was super smart and did experimentation and stuff like that because we do see like like you said in the the wargs case these are mangled creatures from isengard so all right so we're we're the wargs attack and this is one of the coolest Legolas scenes for me, is it's in oh, slow yeah. motion and he takes out three and then he he like wraps his arm around a, a fast moving horse and you know, somehow doesn't break his joints, but like lifts himself onto the horse. And it's, I remember seeing that as a kid. I was like, uh, so the next day at school, the next day after seeing that movie, cause I saw it midnight at school and my parents still made me go to the school, school the next day. <laughs> I remember telling one of my classmates that, dude, Legolas is so cool in this movie. And that's the first thing I mentioned was the warg fight. And yeah, so I, I, I was a big fan of Legolas when I was a kid. Yeah, anyway,
0: and like the music that plays when he's like doing it, like when he's he's killing those wargs. It's really cool, like the precision that he has is just
1: fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool um unfortunately not everyone makes it out alive in helm's deep i mean not helm's deep but like that battle that that warg battle you know it's you you have a lot of uh action going on in that like five minute segment um what's what what i love about that scene is um you start to see the competitive nature of gimli and legolas and their friendship is starting to really blossom you know
0: um right they had become
1: friends before this this is when they start joking around with each other, even in times of war.
0: Oh yeah, they're in the <laughs> yeah in the middle of the fight when uh, Legolas kills that warg, and Gimli is like,
1: "That one counts as mine." <laughs> I love that. Only counts as one. <laughs> oh, that's the next film. Yeah, it's the next film.
0: Um, what was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, like when when Legolas kills the warg, he's like, "That one counts as mine." Yeah, and then and then uh, it was uh, Gimli has some like really great lines. I like it when it, when uh, he's facing down a warg and he's like, "Bring your pretty face to my ox.
1: Yeah, and he's uh, strong
0: too. Gimli is strong because yeah. he because he had um, he had a, a dead warg on him. A dead orc, and then another dead warg on top of him, and he's like pushing these
1: things up. Yeah, he's still bench pressing it. I'm like, uh, oh my gosh, this guy.
0: Because uh, I can imagine that. I, I can imagine that those wargs are at least a few hundred pounds.
1: Yeah, for sure. They, they look like they'd be horse, like uh, at least the, the weight of a horse, you know?
0: Right, the weight of a horse, and then he had the the weight of, the of orc an orc and, on there, and too. And then another yeah. one.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, dwarves very strong, very strong.
0: Um, very very dangerous at short distances.
1: <laughs> yes, especially with their axe. So unfortunately, Aragorn is kind of caught. Uh, like his uh, steed is, or his belt or something is gets caught in one of the wargs. Uh, yeah. Like reins, and he's pushed off the mountainside or the cliffside and um to his apparent doom. And you know there's a, there's a couple like great scenes between here and you know when when he's a, a, a inevitably um shown as alive again uh between Legolas, Gimli and uh Eowyn, where especially with Eowyn, you you just see the immediate heartbreak, you know, like in in her heart even though she's only known this guy for a couple days at this point she loves him it's it's sad because you 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 will understand that feeling that that idea of like your crush or your first love i don't know if it's her first love she's an older woman at this point but um yeah it's a really great scene there's so many great scenes in this movie um and we haven't even gotten to helm yet (laughs)
0: yeah i know
1: but Anyway, the party finally makes it to Helm's Deep, and that's when um, we have that great scene with Eowyn where she's like, so few of you have returned. And um, Theoden, as a good king should, is only looking at the positive when he's speaking in the company of his um, his people, you know? He's like, uh, the battle is won, many men paid for it with their lives. So he's trying to keep it positive, but also also admitting that many people didn't make it
0: yeah yeah he's like our people are safe we pay- we paid for it with many lives
1: yes which is unfortunate because they're gonna yeah. have to use most of those uh, they, need, they need a lot more men for what what they have going on because for what it looks like they used up their warriors in this battle and in the next battle to come all they have are older men and younger boys
0: yeah that which is interesting when we get to that point
1: but you know it's only a good 10 minutes before they show that aragorn is still alive and you know he i love his horse so much like such a good steed the fact that it like woke him up like knelt by him oh
0: yeah that um that was the horse that that he calmed down brago brago yeah Um, and like brago came back and he he was like it, it it was interesting because uh it's like earlier in the movie Aragorn kind of like created a bond with him and they but they released him and it's like i don't know how brego like found him right but you know it, it noticed that he needed help and
1: Um, you know i've i've seen this movie so many times i've never caught that so that's a really great catch you know he let they let the horse go and that's the same horse that came back i assumed it was the horse that he was riding um or but but he wasn't riding a horse when they were going to so you're right he like they were um was he riding a horse i don't know i don't remember but um yeah it wasn't it wasn't the horse that he was taking to Helm's Deep. If he was taking a horse, it was the horse that he let go in the stables in Rohan. Or, right. That know, that was uh,
0: that was Théodred's horse that he told them to release because he had seen the horse had seen too much war, like it was it had like PTSD.
1: So he used elf magic, some form of elf magic to charm the horse into calming itself and then released it because it had ptsd i wonder if it was because of that bond that he created that the horse knew to find him or if it was just total coincidence you know the the horse went to the water or the horse went to the water and found him there you know but the horse knew where to go because he was half dead at that point right
0: yeah i thought i thought that was pretty cool and uh aragorn on his way back this is where he sees the true force of of isengard like i mean the tens of thousands of uruks that are heading yeah. their way and there's and, a, that
1: b- before that moment sorry to cut you off there, there's no, such can... a great scene with saruman and uh wormtongue where worm tongues like uh, you there is no such army you you, you need a, you need an army of thousands tens of thousands and Saruman's like tens of thousands and he's like but sir there is no army and then they walk outside and it's just like raw, raw, raw. you know like yeah, yeah, they're all yeah. in formation like how's the, is-
0: the horn the 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 horn that, and then, and then you hear the Uruks they're, they're all chanting yeah I mean, that, see, that's where just, i got my speech from
1: yes yeah your speech from the, the the opening of this episode great job by the way
0: um and right before that this is where we find out about the explosive device where warm tongue is how can fire undo stone
1: yes yeah, so we we start to see uh saruman's plan um you know explaining what um, right what, what, what can be done to Helm's Deep? Because we, we see that Helm's Deep is this huge fortress. It's withstood many wars. And we, we have the narration over the footage of Helm's Deep. Uh, you know, there's only one key weakness, and it's nothing more, it's no more than a drain, basically.
0: Right. Warm tongue tells them that.
1: Yeah. And um, that's when we, you know, start to see uh the plan forming of what's going to happen at helm's deep later on so anyway moving back forward we have uh the army coming towards helm's deep and uh aragorn like looks at it he's just like oh my god!" <laughs> his yeah. eyes go wide like did not expect to see that did you
0: he you see that he like tears up too
1: yeah, it, it, he he realizes what's coming. He realizes the death that is is just you know, he realizes that this this isn't just a normal war. This is an eradication.
0: Yeah, that's essentially what it is too.
1: Because we have we have uh like Saruman basically saying there is no dawn for men, and I think that's a very key line because it ties in with what Gandalf says earlier in the film. Uh, Look for me at dawn on the fifth day. So if they weren't able to hold out till dawn which right. is what saruman was trying to do they wouldn't have won they would have they would have lost rohan basically
0: um and yeah to like go back to what you're saying about the eradication in that speech he he had said that the uh, that tonight the the land would be the 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 blood of rohan would be like spilled and, and he says to leave none alive
1: yes yeah so um he had a clear goal uh, clearly this was like orchestrated in part due to Sauron because Sauron's efforts uh, from Mordor were on Askelia and Gondor at the time so right. the the second great uh, kingdom of men in Middle Earth would have been Rohan and that's what Saruman's like I got this I got this fam
0: right and uh there's a moment with faramir and this is like all widely known like everybody he says remember they're like planning on the map and he says or like sauron or mordor is attacking from here and Mm -hmm. then isengard is is attacking rohan like so they know like everybody knows that rohan is about to get attacked like this is widely known
1: I love how information travels in Lord of the Rings. You know, because it travels in a a couple different ways. With with uh, the elves, you have um, like Galadriel speaking to uh, Elrond just through her mind, like her powers, um, telling him that the ring is getting closer to Gondor. They have it in their grasp now, and uh, you know, basically like that. There's they need help at Helm's Deep. Um, so she kind of initiates that,
0: right? A- and which is which is actually now that I think about it. Yeah, that, that's I always forget about that scene. And you think like, wow, man, the elves just like showed showed up. Yeah, it was her that sent the the elves.
1: Yeah, um, because yeah, we have Haldir who we saw in the first movie in the in La we, we first meet him there. Right. And um, clearly he's, he's friends with Aragorn from some long time, basically. But uh, he kind of musters the help of the elves, which we'll get to in a little bit. But um, so they, they start planning for this battle. And it's kind of a... I keep saying heartbreaking, but there's a lot of clear heartbreak in this movie where you start to see like families being ripped apart as they start like taking children and old men from uh, the women and children.
0: Right. Essentially anybody that's fit to fight, which like, you know, some old elder like gentlemen that are still spry enough to fight and then kids that are old enough to, to be able to fight yeah and basically
1: if you've hit puberty you're on the battlefield
0: right right and you, I mean you see that throughout the battle like I mean you see kids fighting
1: yeah it's a weird it's a weird visual because and unfortunately this does happen in, in like some countries in, in war and stuff but you don't want to see it and it's clear that um, this isn't a cruel thing that Rohan is doing they just have no other choice or they else they're no going, interest, yeah. they're going to die um and it's it's just a you know unfortunate series of events where they first of all they first of all like get rid of most of their horse riders the Rohirrim in the first half of the two towers so the right. Rohirrim are elsewhere they can't call for aid from the Rohirrim they, right
0: which is a good uh, a good moment to to like recollect or like go back to Gandalf isn't with them this whole time he's actually going to find the Rohirrim
1: yes yeah um which we which comes into like great effect uh at the right. end of the movie
0: right he he says to look for me on the third day at dawn or something like that uh,
1: on the fifth day yeah but yeah on t- at dawn look for me on the fifth day or something like that but- yeah so at this point the Rohirrim are gone. They can't be called to aid them over in uh, Helm's Deep. The warriors that they had fight, many lost their lives in the battle with the war Riders, And now they're stuck with 300 men, old men, and kids, basically, who are capable of fighting an army of 10,000. You know? They Kinda.
0: have... kind Like, they, they even mention, like some of them have some of these people have seen either too many winters or too few
1: yeah so clearly some are far past their prime some are not even there some have never held a sword before and it's crazy yeah the, the the tension in those early parts of like preparing for helm's deep is so good and i love the helm's deep sequence man
0: oh it's one of the th- that's like my favorite part of that movie that like the the warg attack i'm thinking back on how everybody knew or it seemed like a, a great deal that people knew that rohan was being attacked i mean to to the point to where like faramir knew all the way in gondor how did the Rohirrim not show up any sooner
1: that's a good point, and it might be more of a plot hole than anything or a plot convenience, but
0: because um, you know, I, I just the kind of the character that Aemir is, is that he I don't think he would let his people die, no matter how what what state he, um, the king had left him in, I think that he would have been like, you know, my people need help, we need to go,
1: yeah, which and, and you know they they did heed the call, they were just a little bit late to the party. I wonder how far they went and and in what direction they were going that they didn't immediately hear about this, you know? Because Right. Either way Gandalf found them in the end, but um so so just before the battle of helms deep the elves come there's an awesome scene of the elves just like in formation you know just very elegant regal creatures uh coming in and um i love the armor is so cool yeah the the cloaks and like the just like the
0: right the like gold armor and uh I i like that moment right before um you hear a horn and then legolas is like that is no orc horn
1: right because that's what they're expecting to hear you know, in the distance, the, the orc horns. and Legolas gets this like, yes moment because he's like, my people, finally.
0: And the music and... that plays when they like march up. So, yeah,
1: it's so good. Oh, man, because that's that was the theme from Lothlorien, I believe. It wasn't the Rivendell theme. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. And it makes sense because Haldir is from uh, Lothlorien, but we have the elves come, and there's a great scene between Haldir and Aragorn, where uh, you know Haldir is talking about how a long time ago uh, men and elves once fought together, and we're happy to to fight uh, amongst you, or we're, we're proud. Right, right, to- right.
0: He's like, we're we're proud to honor that allegiance once more
1: yeah great line and then aragorn just kind of like brings him into a hug and it's just such an informal thing uh for haldir and he's just like right and and he like
0: embraces yeah yeah i noticed that too
1: uh it's it's really good
0: what was it they needed those elves though
1: they did they 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 without (laughs) without the elves they wouldn't have lasted till dawn
0: which like and, and we'll talk about it later but like i mean it's really cool that they have them all set up on like that main wall and then behind yeah and do the precision the archers, yeah. that they have man like just the elves man
1: they're cool they're just awesome
0: so the the everybody's like set up it, the elves are along the along the line or they're on the wall and just behind the wall all the men and they're then they're like inside the keep and the the urks they finally like show up and they they line up and it's kind of like you know they're like they're facing off you know it's like the moment just before the battle starts and you know the the uriks are kind of they're like chanting and um like like essentially like i I see it as like a a way for them to get into their heads you know like they're like hey you know we're here we're gonna we're gonna destroy you which i mean you could see the fear and like all the men's eyes the elves are kind of just like ready to like just start fighting. And uh I like the, the moment between Gimli and Legolas where Gimli's like what's going on? What's happening? And then Legolas is like would you like would you like me to describe it to you or do you want me to find you a box? They just yeah, like, kind of laugh. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Through. In this movie, we have a real shift with Gimli. Where in the first movie he's a kind of a more serious character, you know, he's lamenting the loss of his cousin Balin. You right. And he's more gruff in the first movie. In this in this movie, we see his insecurities start to, like, show up a little more. The fact that he, he's a dwarf, which makes him shorter. But also, uh, with the insecurities that we see with Gimli, we also get um, some of the humor that is inherent in, you know, his relationship with Legolas and Aragorn. And I, I think it's so important, you know? Like, and it starts at the beginning of the movie with, like, him, like... Heaving and huffing, like trying to like uh, follow them as they run for days and days, and he's just like, "Dwarves are wasted on cross country."
0: <laughs> more dangerous uh, in uh, short distances.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, so, that was funny. So we start getting some of the the humor in Gimli um, in this movie, and I, I think that that's an important addition to his character because it just makes him uh, a more three dimensional figure instead of the uh, caricature of a dwarf
0: right i i, I really do like it. it is like, so gimli aragorn and legolas they, they obviously they have this great friendship amongst each other but gimli and legolas they have and you could tell it's through friendship but they have this like rivalry but it's like in good fun kind of thing uh the battle starts in like a kind of a fun funny way like uh, that, that old man that like he like lets go of the arrow, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because he got tired. Which right. I mean, I could see because I've drawn a bow before, and you get tired. That that's like they're never they're they are not meant to be held unless they're meant to like once you're ready. That's when you pull it back, and then like you kind of aim and let go. You're it's not meant to be like held for like long periods of time.
1: Yeah. So he uh releases it by mistake and takes out an orc um which is pretty it's a it's actually a pretty funny scene i don't think he was actually even aiming for any particular orc i think he was just like looking at the crowd and aiming but oh he yeah, gets no, it. For sure he, he gets it right in like the, the the neck of the armor and i know
0: like the perfect spot
1: yeah and um he just starts the war basically you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Th- thanks a lot old man yeah, yeah. Like when it happens, like everybody just like kind of looks over, like what just happened. <laughs> Even Theoden's like, really?
1: Hold. Yeah. Then we get one of the longest <clears throat> uh, battle sequences ever put to film, and in fact, it was the longest battle sequence ever put to film, uh, lasting about forty minutes. So that had ever been um, until the battle for winter <sighs> battle for Winterfell in Game of Thrones season seven. That it, you, it.
0: you know what, it's funny that you mention that, because how similar was that fight to Helms Deep?
1: It was it was very similar. Yeah, it was they, very
0: similar. It was just a lot darker.
1: Yeah. literally a lot yeah. darker. Yeah, physically darker. Like it was the darkness like, was a uh, was like. <laughs> a part of the battle um
0: yeah i remember seeing that episode and, it and was like,
1: a it was a good episode but thematically it didn't fit with game of thrones you know like they they
0: it was very lord of the rings
1: yes yeah and they they kind of like threw away a lot of the things that they had like built up prior to this moment i don't want to get into all of it right now but like aria anyway she was supposed to be like one of the like uh, faceless ones and they just scrapped that storyline like she didn't do anything at that point um uh, it was supposed yeah. to be Jon snow that killed the night king not Arya. uh it was supposed to be this person and that person doing this thing like what was the point of you can go on and on with the season seven inconsistencies but
0: right right but yeah no it's it's funny that you brought that up because i do remember saying that and thinking of all the similarities between it and helms deep i was like it looks almost like they're fighting at helms deep um but yeah that that battle sequence though was it was just so good helms yeah it was so good uh the uh volley that they get from uh the elves just like very, very just precise yeah. I don't know if you noticed, <clears throat> you see the volley from the elves and it's just very like consistent and then you see the volley from like the men, and it's just like very it's like indirect. Right, it just goes and,
1: random ways. And I think that's just part of why Peter Jackson was so perfect for this movie because he had such an understanding of Tolkien lore. You know, he had such an understanding of the qualities that made up um Even the fighting styles between the different races, you know? Right. Because if you've ever read a Lord of the Rings book, you'd be surprised how quick the battle scenes are. He doesn't like to focus on the battle scenes. Like, they're just a couple pages, really. Versus the 40-minute long Helm's Deep fight. So, there's not a lot of explanation as to how they fight. But he had such an understanding and appreciation of the characteristics of each race that he was able to embed that in his movie and made it feel so real to the audience like you understood oh these guys are like just a, a near perfection type uh performance level you know and- right
0: um what about like when the elves behind the wall they fire the arrows go just by that they they fly just by the heads of the of the other elves and aragorn and like leg loss up on the wall like i mean just the precision of like being able to like get it like between heads to like go into the it, it's just yeah it was so crazy that fight is probably one of my favorite battle sequences ever like you know
1: so they have uh what i love about it is how much saruman planned for any and all fighting tactics that the orcs could imply or the uruk could imply it starts with the uh the ladders the small ladders that they have like rise up towards the top of the the thing and i'm sure other right. armies had like thought about that in the past and used that like use that because then nobody seemed surprised that the orcs had these ladders but but it was a really cool thing to start with
0: you know what's cool was that when when they did bring out the ladders Aragorn said that in in uh Elven, and Gimli understood. Mm. He's like good, because like he he like Gimli is Gimli is a savage. Like he just wants to chop up some like orcs. Yeah, like he's like all right, pray. like he's like bring them to me. And I, okay. I I love like you know when he's like he's like chopping them down, and he tells Legolas he's like I'm already on two and then legolas <laughs> I'm is like on I'm on se- he's like oh, i'm on 17 yeah um and he's like oh I have no pointy air outscoring me and then like he like hits one of like the the orcs on top of the ladders like right in the groin
1: yeah I, I think we should talk a little bit about legolas and like his attitude before the battle because he was one of the big he was almost like a problem you know in terms of like um getting the hopes of the men's down you know he he saw that it was a hopeless fight
0: right and right. it was
1: like, it was until the elves came basically
0: the moment between him and aragorn when they were speaking in elven like yeah. saying that you know that that this fight is hopeless and the and, the humans
1: and, the humans could not understand but them. they could
0: understand the body language
1: yes they knew and that's why aragorn switched. To English, I he's like, English, but yeah, comment,
0: yeah, 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 he sw- switched a comment, and he's like, then I'll die as one of them.
1: Yes, and I think that was—I mean, obviously, it's confirmation of what they were talking about between themselves in that argument. But it was also Im- important for the men to hear, like, we're not going to leave your side. We're doing this together and um i think that that was a a, a cool Yeah,
0: set. yeah it was. And this this was a like a pretty mature moment for Gimli cuz remember Aragorn leaves and Legolas goes to follow and Gimli's just like just give him a moment.
1: Yeah, let him go, lad. Let him go.
0: Yeah, I was like I was like, "Okay,
1: Gimli, playing the mediator." Meanwhile, Legolas is probably like hundreds of years older than Gimli and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, some of the other innovations that uh, Sar- Saruman comes up with is um, we also have the, the long ladders, like the the big ladders that hold like fifty orcs on it, uh, that they bring up later in the fight.
0: Oh um, yeah, the ones that they um, they use the ballistas to.
1: Yeah, they they use the ballistas to like hook onto the ledge, and like they're trying that the humans and elves are trying to like lift the ballistas off, but you they have like the support of like hundreds of orcs behind them. So there's like no dislodging the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's pretty cool. We have the battering ram that was designed to break down the door uh, at the top of the ramp. So they, they have multiple fronts going on basically.
0: Right. And like, it's really cool. They, they've kind of employed this like Spartan, uh, like approach to the the battering ram where they have the shields covering
1: yes yes that was that was interesting like these are orcs who have been trained for warfare not just like uh like like heavily trained for warfare so that's pretty cool and then of course they have the explosive device
0: right the bomb pretty much yeah it's basically like
1: gunpowder um that they they explode um and it's it's really uh just one of the the most crazy scenes because it just changes the tide of the battle in an instant
0: it really yeah it does i mean so during that point in the fight you could tell that the fight was still a losing fight right so so like i, I would say that the that the slope for the the you know for the battle were. are the Uruks were like clearly winning the fight, but it was a little slower until they blew up the wall. This that just or- like it made it so fast. Like then, then, yeah, it made it just the, the, the tide of the, the battle just like turned even like more in favor to the to the orcs.
1: Did you rem- or do you remember it playing the Two Towers game and the Helm's Deep scene? was like the hardest level because there was just wave after wave after wave of high yeah. and you'd have to like knock down ladders and then the then the wall would breach and then you have to go down there and fight with Aragorn. And it's just like this is never ending. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a hard part in the video game. I miss I missed that that time, that era. Those games were games. so good, yeah. I Every know.
0: once in a while you'll get a good video game based off of a movie.
1: Yeah. But back then, there were there were like some seriously like, good games for for movies back in the day, like the
0: yeah yeah. You know what I noticed? Like back in those times, like that was a thing. You would see uh, video games based off of movies, even like unlikely ones, and uh, that's something that you don't really see so much these days.
1: Yeah, I think all the companies want more original. Ips or original takes on IPs. Like you, you yeah. would have more. Like if, if Lord of the Rings came out today, now you, you you'd get like the Shadow of Mordor game instead of like the um, Lord of the Rings adaptations. Right. So anyway, let's uh, jump back into the story. It's it's a losing fight. Basically, they have to retreat uh, into the the fortress because uh there's just an army of Urukai making their way through the breached wall um and you know props to the the orc that they had like run run the torch into it because obviously he knew he was dying uh, right a couple arrows wasn't going to stop him
0: right that that orc is called a berserker and they had a few mm. of them they were they were mainly at the tops of the towers because they were most likely going to be the ones to die first yeah, but so they took more damage they took more damage So you, remember when um like at the the start of the ladders one of the one of the same looking orc jumps oh, on him like
1: gimli attacks him and the groin right
0: gimli attacks happened. him but before that he chops down like a whole bunch of elves like so easily
1: mm-hmm. you're right yeah so that's that's pretty cool so they they head back into the keep. Um, they're trying to hold off the door from the battering ram. And right. Now
0: that they made made it all the way. Well, so oh, you're talking about the keep?
1: Yeah, we're we're in the keep now.
0: Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the keep now. But just before that, uh, like where everybody's retreating to the keep after the
1: oh, the scene with Haldir.
0: Yeah. He dies.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's an interesting moment. And it's... There's an interesting scene as he's dying. And I think it was intentional. Where he looks at the slain about him. And it's like, what is this all for? And he sees uh, men, elves, and orcs dead on top of each other. And it's, it's almost like, at the end of the day, they all die. You know, it's just it's just needless death and that's the last thing that he sees before aragorn comes to his aid and it's yeah it's an interesting and poignant moment
0: dude how, how could you forget that that uh amazing moment with uh well just after the wall is breached air like aragorn is kind of like knocked back and gimli like jumps on top of the orcs
1: yes yes yeah that... Gimli has like no fear
0: yeah, they, let me tell you, Gimli is like Gimli's a beast, and yeah. then um, and Legolas comes le- in with the shield, like right on top the of the shield. Yeah, like he's like he's like, skateboarding, right? He's, he's shieldboarding. He, he's an innovator. Yes, um, he's
1: ahead of his time,
0: <laughs> way ahead of his time. Um, but yeah, they, they they make it back to the keep, and the battering ram is breaking down the door a bit, and so they go to reinforce it and gimli and aragorn pretty much volunteer to like hold them off while they reinforce the the orcs while they reinforce the doors yeah and uh it's crazy they go out through this like side door that's like right there i like the moment where uh Gimli's like he's like come on we could take them he's like yeah but it's a uh, aragorn's like yeah but it, it's like it's a it's a long way and uh, Gamli is like, you're going to have to toss me. Yeah. <laughs> and even Aragorn's like, wait, what?
1: You're going to have to toss me.
0: And he's like, don't tell the elf.
1: <laughs> Not a word. Yeah, so they, they hold off the uh, the army there at the gate. And shortly thereafter, they retreat into the main hall of Helm's Deep. And Aragorn's just pissed. You know, he's he's mad that they're <laughs> retreating when they can continue fighting. And, um, Feudin has almost like lost the will to fight at this point.
0: Right. Cause there's so much death. Yeah. Aragorn yeah, is essentially like yelling at him, you know,
1: like do your job, do your job, do your job.
0: Yeah, He's, he's like, you know, they're, they're dying, defending this this keep, you know, they've died and they're still dying, you know, keep going.
1: Gimli notices that it, uh, it's dawn now and yeah, or the sun's sun's coming up. And that's when he realizes what Gandalf had said, like, look for me at dawn on the fifth day. And that's when he gets the idea, like, one last attempt to, like, stop this horde of orc from coming in right out with me. And then I I love this interaction because it's so, it tells the differences in their characters so much. Theoden's like for death and glory and you know he's thinking about like this is the like this is his last moment he doesn't think that they're getting out of this um but aragorn still has hope and theoden's just his he's thinking about his own glory at this point and it's unfortunate but aragorn has to like check him he's just like for your people and he's just yeah. like yes and yeah for
0: it, it, for rohan yes yeah yeah i caught that too i was like yeah i was like um aragorn is essentially like saying like no not not for your personal gain but for your people
1: yeah yeah it's it's a really great scene there's so much that we can glean from aragorn in this moment but it just goes to show like he's such a good leader and he, that's why he's so fit to be king of gondor at the end of all this you know
0: even though he's like fighting against it
1: yeah, he doesn't want the power and i think he's he's wary of it because of what it's done to his ancestors but at the end of the day he's a great leader and he's a uh, he's he's a far greater leader um than Théoden is because of the way he sees things and the way he enforces um uh, his subjects uh and, and helps them but anyway so they ride out and it's a really triumphant scene and just before this just before this we we get a cut back to uh mary and pippin
0: right right so like between so we get a bit of cuts between the fight like in the fight yeah so mary and pippin are more more merry than anything you know kind of defeated to like you know Uh, pippin's like you know maybe uh maybe treebeard is right you know we should just go home and mary knows he understands that you know there won't be a home
1: yeah if if something isn't done and it's a it's a great um it's a great interaction mary seems to be the more level-headed in terms of uh wanting to help and Pippin is the more um, submissive and he's just like, I think we've done enough, you know. But it, it's ultimately like on their way back. And uh, Treebeard's leading them back. It was uh, right. Pippin who Pippin realizes. Very
0: uncharacteristically.
1: Yes, but I think it, it becomes characteristic of him as the series goes on. Because it, right, he takes right. on more of a role. I the, think that this
0: is where he shifts.
1: It's literally a turning point, you know, he's they're going this way and he's just like, no, 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 let's turn and go south. And <laughs> I love the line uh, by by Treebeard after he explains, like Saruman won't be expecting us to come this way. He's like, that doesn't make sense to me, but you are very small.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I love um, what Pippin says. He's like, the closer the closer we are to danger, the further we are from harm is the yes. last thing he'd be expecting. But you know which is which gets me thinking like because pippin i know pippin was hoping for them to go there and for treebeard to see what's going on yes that's why he did that you know obviously yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I, I mean i'd like why to think that why, that's why how why. did pippin know to do that that's a good question i mean we did see the fires coming from isengard before um, True. Yeah. Maybe maybe Pippin had um, known, or maybe had maybe Pippin had other plans to like mess with Saruman. You know, like see if there was something that they could do over there without True. Treebeard. But it wasn't until Treebeard sees all the desolation that um, Saruman has ravaged on the forest and his his friends. You know, he's many of these trees are my friends. I knew them from seed, bud, and sapling, and. that's when he cracks and there's i think one it's possibly the most chilling scene in the entire series chilling in the sense that like i get goosebumps every time where treebeard um uh roars and the forest comes to life half of it goes over to uh rohan and helms deep and the other half goes towards isengard and treebeard explains the ants the are going to war the last march of the ants and then there's a like triumphant just and he know and he, and hes
0: and he knows he's like you know we're I know he says that we're the last march of the ants and this is likely to our doom
1: yes and it's he, I, I think in that moment he has such sway because of his anger. At what Saruman has done. He even says a wizard should know better, which, I mean, which kind he of
0: shook literally with anger.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, this is interesting because we know the five wizards in um, Tolkien lore are basically um, one of the like higher up angels of the system basically that that was brought down to earth and like made into wizards basically that's uh, that's what they were the Maiar and he understands Treebird that is that they know better in terms of they were closely related to uh, Eru, Eru Iluvatar which is the god of this universe and the fact that Saruman would just betray that and become something wicked, and just destroy the forest. Um, something so pure is something is what breaks Treebeard. He's this is the turning point for him, and that's when he decides he needs to take action. And he he just does a war cry. Yeah. And, and that that scene where where the elves are or not the elves the ants are like walking in slow motion, and towards the the music, the last march of the ants. That's. It's so good. Uh, hey Siri, play the last march of the ants.
0: Ants by Edit now playing.
1: Hey Siri, stop. It's the wrong track. What'd she say? She she said ants by Edit now playing. I'm like that's not what I wanted. No. <laughs> All right. So the the ants go and attack uh, Isengard, and meanwhile we have. Um, Aragorn and Théoden and some of the others uh ride out on horseback towards the front gate and like they just they just trample everyone on the ramp. It's a really cool scene. And then there's that uh fantastic moment when you see um Gandalf at the top of the mountain. And oh yeah, what they the, say the army of the Rohirrim. Uh or well yeah, there's that moment where they're like uh Théoden stands alone and uh Aemir <laughs> uh, is just like he is not alone, and you see just like hundreds of horse riders, and they just decimate the battlefield.
0: Yeah, no, it was that was a cool moment right there. And then uh, yeah, they're going down, and then the the light shines into the 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 faces of the orcs.
1: Yes, and it's literally a, a light versus darkness moment where the light prevails. You know, yeah. Um and. You know, they're, they're, I love the symbolic uh, resonance behind that, but just the physical representation of that in the movie is so good, um, and it's just like an instant. Like the orcs have no chance because now it's it's dawn; they're not in their element anymore. They fight better at night, um, right? And they're they're being attacked by a bunch of people on horseback, and a wizard with a with an anger. Um, they scamper off. The the orcs, they scamper off into the. Like, they they, they run away from the battle at this point.
0: Right, into the forest.
1: Which wasn't there before. The forest wasn't there before, you know? Because we were, like, if you go back in the film, you have the people walking up to Isengard, or not Isengard, you have the people walking up to um, Helm's Deep, and it's just plains, and the mountainsides are barren. But Suddenly, when you turn around at the end of the battle, the trees have appeared, and we see at, when when it comes to uh, what Treebeard was saying, uh, the trees are going to the orcs. And then at the end of the movie, we have like this forest that just ca- came out of nowhere, and it's cool because like you see like the forest like all over the mountainside and stuff, and basically the trees were waiting for the orcs to come, uh, so that they can finish off the army.
0: Yeah, they, yeah, that's crazy. That was a cool moment.
1: I love Dude, I love this movie so much. And then, you know, we have to end it off with the the, you know, sacking of Isengard. Uh with the with, with Treebeard, the hobbits and uh the other ents. And Saruman's What's weird is that Saruman looks like he's having a good time. Like this is a great show.
0: <laughs> that look on his face that looks Yeah, it's so just weird. like
1: yeah he it was a weird um, manic look that he had but it also looked like he was like rooting for like a a sports team or whatever like it just was a weird thing but whatever the ants basically they they break down the dam they flood your favorite Um, line (laughs) break the
0: dam release the river release the river
1: yeah i love how uh a tree beard like we don't know his um stance in terms of like the hierarchy of, of the ants we know that he's like big enough to be part of the Atmo, but he just was like the de facto general of that battle
0: <laughs> so yeah, uh, isaac guard is defeated
1: my favorite part of that is um when they break the dam there was one tree or there was one ant that was on fire and he came and like like dipped his head into the water
0: <laughs> there's also that one ant that just like throws an orc into the water
1: yes and i, I love the different like shapes and stuff of the ants There was one that has like a big fat belly
0: yeah no they, they, they're like human beings there's all different types there's like short ones tall ones skinny ones big ones um yeah they're like but, uh, people
1: yeah so they they sack isengard um you know saruman's locked away in his tower he doesn't want to come out uh but uh we we kind of end with mary and pippin looking into uh his storehouse and finding like all these like cooked turkeys and which is a weird thing to find in a storehouse like how 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 would you store a cooked turkey uh i don't know right like apples and stuff and... they they found it they found like uh basically like tobacco of, tobacco right. leaves from the shire and good stuff old apparently toby. <laughs> old toby and that's the two towers
0: um well, well, well that that it oh we forgot. it's not the
1: two towers we forgot sam and frodo
0: sam and frodo yeah they get to uh osgiliath and um they're in the middle of their own little battle and a ringwraith shows up and they they uh or nazgul and you know nazgul is messing people up and there's a moment between the nazgul and frodo where frodo almost gets taken by a nazgul he almost puts on the ring but then uh, sam saves him as
1: usual Yeah. yeah and that that's a great scene because we see faramir looking on the whole time like he he sees what's happening to frodo he sees the ring Wanting to go back to its master and it's using Frodo to get uh, what what it wants. Basically it's not until after the uh, Like like Sam subdues Frodo and like, you know calms him down uh, Because you know Frodo almost like stabs Sam like he 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 draws sting on Sam And yeah, you know, there's the great line from sean astin Uh, it's it's me. It's your Sam, and and yeah so they, they have that interchange where it's like it's it's like the old stories when there was a great evil and great battles and uh, a lot of darkness and you know it, they kind of compare it to their time now and they, they realize in that moment that they're part of a great story it's really it's such a it's it's such a good scene like that that moment is so Sam and well, I I mean I mean to say like Sam is such a idealist right he he wants a certain I don't even know what to uh, how to say it but like he he yearns for a future that is free of of the the warfare that we see and obviously everyone does but he's the one who vocalizes it he's the right, one who right. talks about their present as if it's a past tense and he hopes that that can happen someday yeah it's a it's a beautiful moment um, and it's that speech, probably, that Faramir finally understands the Hobbits. He finally understands what, what they're going through.
0: Right. And um, I like that Faramir, he lets them go. And I like that, that uh, interchange between him and Sam where Sam is like, you know, very appreciative. And he said, you've shown your quality yes and um, i
1: noticed that this time around like that i haven't noticed in previous times is that like that that line just keeps getting thrown around faramir and in this instance it's finally a positive one
0: yeah so, and i and like faramir he's like you know essentially that the that the shire must be a great place where gardeners are are held in high regard
1: yeah um I I I, thought, I I I was thinking about that that line a little bit because like what it's an interesting line coming from Faramir who's considered second to his brother, like by right. a large margin. And it's it's almost like him saying like the Shire must be great if even your lowly ones are held to such a high standard. Yeah. And it's it's kinda crushing when you think about it from like Faramir's point of view, like he wishes he had a more simple life like that. But right. he can't. Because he has responsibilities, he's a captain in, in the war and stuff. But so he lets them go, and he realizes that um, uh, Gollum is taking them to. It's funny; I'm not like every now and then I, I forget like which which uh, identity Gollum or Schmeagol is uh, currently right. in. So I keep having to like re, uh, re like change around like who I'm talking about. But in this instance, it's Gollum. Yeah, so they're going to Kirithangul. It's the pass that goes over the mountain and into Shelob's lair, which we'll find in the next film. And, um, you know, he's, he's freaking out. Like, you better not hurt them.
0: Right, because he knows what's up there. He knows that there's a tower up there, too.
1: Yes, but at this point... And there's an interesting little interchange between Gollum and Sam, where he's just like, no hard feelings, right? Like, Frodo didn't mean for that to happen. And... Uh, he's like no 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 hard feelings but clearly hard feelings were were taken because he feels totally betrayed he feels like they're not to be trusted and that's when Smeagol becomes the secondary personality and Gollum becomes the first right so they they end up leaving and you know it ends with a nice interchange with with uh sam and frodo and then it ends with, uh, you know, Gollum basically saying, "We'll let her kill them." Talking about yeah. Shiloh later. So, yes, that is the Two Towers. That is. And in the end, I'll be where I will be. <laughs> no loyal friend was ever there for me. All right, so. Um, <laughs> uh let's look at the academy awards won by this film it's interesting we we spoke about it in our second episode of uh the you know the discussion of all this it was nominated for a lot in the first uh, the first film was nominated let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen times it was nominated thirteen times and it won three of those. Now, going down to The Two Towers, we see... Let me share the screen, actually. Can you see my screen?
0: Yes, I can.
1: All right. So we have um, uh, the Academy Awards won by The Two Towers. And... Well, it's, it's all the awards here. But um, we'll, we're just going to look at the Academy Awards. So it was nominated for Best Picture. For, and it did not win. Uh, It was nominated for Best Art Direction. It did not win. It was nominated for Best Sound Editing. And it did win for that. So it was a technical award there. Uh, And it was nominated for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. Best Sound and Best Film Editing. And it it did not win for those. But it did win, rightly so, for Best Visual Effects. Um, And those visual effects uh, still hold up to this day. So uh, good on them for that. Now, um, it it also won Best Visual Effects back in uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. So, the the studio was just nailing the the visual effects
0: they uh, were on fire. standards.
1: They were on fire, but this goes from three wins in the first movie and thirteen nominations to uh, six nominations and two wins in the Two Towers. And you'll note that it wasn't nominated for the score at all and i had to do some digging as to why because the score for the two towers is probably in my opinion is probably the strongest of the three films
0: yeah exactly
1: and it was actually a rule that the academy had at this time where they didn't allow sequels to um be nominated for uh best scores so because they didn't want like sequels to Continually, like they didn't want the Star Wars thing to happen, where like the the score for every John Williams movie basically to continue being the <laughs> the the winning thing. So it was a rule that they had um, that they eventually broke in Return of the Jedi. They ended up nixing that rule for Return of the Je- Return of the Jedi. Return of the King. Sorry, they ended up removing that rule for Return of the King and. And it ended up winning the best score. But we'll talk more about Return of the King in two weeks' time. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to us here at Project Geekology for our 31st episode, the fourth in our six-part discussion of the fantastic Lord of the Rings film trilogy. Next week, Anthony and I will be jumping into part one of The Return of the King. So be sure not to miss out on our discussion as well as the following week, which we'll also be covering The Return of the King. Uh, but be sure to find all links to our show and socials in the show notes so you can keep up to date on all Project ecology news and updates. And if you enjoyed today's show, share it on social media, review it on your preferred podcast application, or talk to us directly online. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.
0: Bye.